0: Welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: Hello and welcome to the Keystone Kickoff Show. I'm Jim Galante, along with T. Frank Carr frank we keep inching closer and closer it's the end of july we're approaching august big 10 media days this week it's getting closer isn't it
2: yes and um you know on a total side note something that we didn't talk about before the show but just the swirling chaos happening around ben state this week with uh sean clifford and uh, possible unionization and I'm sure as we get throughout the week and talk to people at Big Ten Media Days, a lot of nothing will be said, but it is a lot of something. Like, there is something, and it's it's a bit shocking.
1: It is. We talked about it a bit uh, on our show earlier this week with Dustin, and, you know, it was kind of like the unionization in air quotes, and it was funny how they kind of backed off it. No, 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 we're not talking about unionizing. We're talking about organizing and negotiating as a group. (laughs) Everything that defines what a union does. But we're not talking about unionizing. So, anyway, let's move on from there. Want to hit one more tidbit of news. Uh, Hit you up on this before we get to talking about our main uh, focus of the day. And that is, apparently, Yazid Haynes, a... um, wide receiver commit, who previously was committed to Rutgers, decommitted, committed to Penn State. Now it appears decommitting from Penn State, and it appears he's going, going to be probably headed to Georgia, correct?
2: Uh, yeah, just uh, u- using uh, universities as stepping stones, moving up the ladder all the way to Georgia. Um, yeah, this has been something that has been a bit of a... Poorly kept secret for a while in the fact that he went and and visited and worked out at Georgia, kind of like uh, Josh Miller, the other player that decommitted from Penn State and committed uh, later then to the Bulldogs. And uh, it's it's a loss for Penn State. It's been a particularly difficult cycle for the receiver position as well, for Taylor Stubblefield, the receiver's coach. Not just that they are losing Yazid Haynes, but they didn't get a bunch of players that were at the top of their board I think they pretty much got shut out of those players other than a Johnny Shakir and then, uh, you know, not getting Rodney Gallagher and having this, I don't want to say he's the consolation prize in Yazidane's, Danes, but certainly he would have been a great compliment to a, like a star in the class. And they didn't get any of that this cycle. So uh, have to do something at this point to make up for that.
1: Uh Definitely. And before we go on, just one other note. In the fourth quarter, we're going to have uh, E.J. Daniels on from Rivals to talk about recruiting. Just a heads up, we pre-recorded that segment earlier prior to the decommitment. So when you hear E.J. uh, talking about that might happen, well, he was actually correct. And he was talking about it before we found out this for sure. All right, T. Frank, let's get to the topic we did want to get to, which is um, in quarter number one, we're going to talk about the offensive line, and we're going to probably use this as a stepping stone to get to a series where you give your preview of each position group. Um, you've been writing about this. We're going to hit both the offensive line, and then in quarter number two, we'll hit the quarterbacks. Two very interesting and, and Topics for Penn State fans, I'm not sure controversial is the right word, but at least a lot of talking points.
2: Incendiary the... is what I was going with when we started with these two positions.
1: <laughs> Perfect. I See, you You have a better vocabulary than I do, So, but I like it, T. Frank. Let's start with the offensive line. Let's start with the losses on the line. Rasheed Walker, Eric Wilson, Mike Miranda, three starters, now is that a glass half empty or glass half full uh, type segment when we talk about the three starters that they lost from last season?
2: So this is always a delicate dance, Jim, of trying to give you an honest assessment and trying to be fair and balanced let, and, let and me, give the let
1: truth. me interrupt let, let me interrupt you for a second, T. Frank, and I'm gonna okay. make the whole process easier. I've been calling yeah. it addition by subtraction, okay? I'm Uh just going to call it that. So you're allowed to be candid. Say what you want.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I, I think that some of those guys brought things to the table. Like they had tangible skills, but when you look at the way they worked together, it was not good. And then, I, I just think that some of those players didn't progress and develop, you know, that they did not reach the level of expectation even for their profile. You know, maybe they didn't have the most elite profile in the world, but they didn't hit that ceiling that they, we all, you know, project when we see a player and he can become X, if X, Y, and Z happens like those things just didn't happen for some of those players. So now the, uh, fount of eternal optimism, new players, uh, is back for Penn State, and on the left side of the line, I tend to be, this is where where my conditioning as a long-suffering Buffalo Bills fan who has now died and gone to heaven with this team that I'm rooting for now, my, my default setting is, okay, X, Y, and Z has to happen, and all these young guys, they can work out. Like You see the eternal optimism and the potential in players that you haven't found the weaknesses yet. So we don't know, we've seen flashes of Olufoshanu at left tackle. I kind of feel like he's a Sasquatch. Because every time I see him, I go, whoa, what was that? And then it's like one flash of a play. There's not really anything, it's it's in the blue-white game, or it's a couple of plays in his very first start in the bowl game. But I see a guy that's super big and very athletic, and came off the line and destroyed some people. But... Has he played anyone to actually test his skills to where we will know what he is? I don't. I have not seen that yet, so the optimism of what he could be is currently what we possess in our hands, and I, I tend to be an optimist. Landon Tangwall, we have more information about. He's a high four-star recruit. He has been a technically superior player since high school. He came in and performed well at two positions last season. I'm expecting a solid season from him with the opportunity and the option to be very good. Then you get to Juice Scruggs at center, moving to his, what I think people call his his destined position. You know, his that's his natural position. Anytime a guy switches positions, a la Mike Miranda last season, I tend to get a little nervous that we project him to just be better. That being said, Juice Scruggs has been training at center for a while. It's not like he just learned to snap the ball recently. So from left to center, that should be a very good offensive line. Uh, or at least that that has the potential to be very good. Then you get to the right side. You have Hunter Norzad coming from Cornell. And you have Caden Wallace. That is the projected starting five here. So that is, at its surface level, an improvement in the length, strength, size, and potential overall of the offensive line with those new additions. Which are really, if you count Juice Scruggs going to new position, four of the five players. But either way, three of the five. So there's massive turnover. And I think same level talent... In some positions, and then more talent in others.
1: I've been saying, uh, T. Frank, it's very possible they could be better at all, all five positions across the board.
2: Yeah, and that comes down to a couple of things that I I see the the potential of Hunter Norzad at guard. But, you know, I want to see him play Big Ten talent first. I, I I don't think he had the profile of a guy that was... So vastly superior at Cornell that he's an obvious fit. Like, uh, you know, trying to think of some other guys that were like just. I think Tyrese Mills at at um, Lackawanna was clearly better than everyone else around him. Was clearly a, a Division One talent. Uh, I, I I just I want to see a little bit more of Hunter Norzad. But from a physical standpoint, big, quick, violent, angry. Um, he throws himself into blocks. And I think he's got the talent to do it. I just, I want to see a little bit because I've, you know, as much as I am an optimist, I I get to a certain point of like, you can't be optimistic about every single position here. Uh, And then the last place would be Caden Wallace that we, you know, talking about progression from last year. He was not so far off from a technical or physical standpoint that you thought he had no chance. Um, If there had been a better option at right tackle, I would have been interested to see, and I still kind of feel this way. What does he do at guard? But this offseason, he talked about, um, you know, being better as a athlete when it comes to mobility, flexibility, bend, all of those things that he needs as a tackle. And if he can do those things, then he doesn't have to be elite. He just has to be good enough. He just don't make mistakes. And I I think he can get to that level. I don't think that's crazy. Uh, And then if you have guys that are making plays elsewhere, now you have a good offensive line that meets the threshold for competent and competitive in the Big Ten.
1: You questioned Hunter Norzad coming in uh, because he hasn't faced Big Ten-type competition prior. I'm not as quick to hand that right guard position over to him. We've been told that Sal warmly, had he not gotten hurt last season, he would have been a starter. Where does he fit in? And my optimism at that position is: well, we get two bites at the apple. There's two chances. Yes. If it's not Norzad, maybe it's Warmly. If it's not Warmly, maybe it's Norzad who's able to step up.
2: Yeah, and James Franklin also mentioned J.B. Nelson as a part of this conversation when it comes to guards that have the chance to contribute this year. Um, and he he was he looked very small in the uh, in in the in the blue white game. But part of that is because he was coming in to replace, or he was lining up next to, uh, Landon Tangwall, who is huge. So <laughs> there's a little bit of calm A, a little bit of calm B. He has been losing weight and getting into shape and losing some bad weight, but like he still, I still see some work he needs to do as far as building back to being what I think he can be and what we saw from him, uh, of the potential of a guy that can move really well. So, and I, I. I I don't want to be negative about Hunter Norzad either, because I think that like there's a reason a lot of Power Five schools wanted him. Like the physical traits are there to be a very good offensive lineman. I'm just saying, like where he lands on that spectrum, I need to see a little bit of calibration before I say he's going to be an all Big Ten player. He's going to be good. He's going to be acceptable. Like where on this, where on the spectrum is that? But yeah, uh, J.B. Nelson coming back. There is this is the real, the real good part about the offensive line this year, especially on the interior, is that there are multiple players and there is competition. Penn State has not had competition on the uh, on the offensive line in several years, so starters have had really realistically no threat of losing their position. Last year, they shuffled guys between positions; nobody got benched when there was inferior play. They have the opportunity for that this year, and the question is, does that spill over to the tackle position? Because right now, they do not have depth there, and that is the cons- that's really the concern for this group is. The interior, in, you throw in Vega Yuane as a guy who's coming in at six foot four, 330, that James Franklin said physically can compete. If you now have that many players, what does that do to the level of competition and the level of play on the interior? That's my most optimi- realistically optimistic perspective of this line is that they might actually have the best player available on the field and not the guy that has to play because he's just the one that performs the best.
1: Very good, T. Frank. That is it for the offensive line. Next segment, we go frying pan to fire. We're going to talk quarterbacks. Stick around for that. Statecollege.com is your one stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise. Local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. Trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
3: What defines the special spirit of Penn State? Why Penn State, by author Greg Woodman, looks to Happy Valley in the 1980s for answers. Featuring rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews with Coach Paterno, this beautiful 256-page full-color hardback edition explores the why behind we are. It's chicken soup for the Nittany Lions' soul and makes the perfect gift for any Penn Stater in your life, including you. Order today at whypennstate.com.
0: It's quarter number two on the Keystone Kickoff Show, brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystonesportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number two. I'm Jim Galati along with T. Frank Carr. T. Frank, in quarter number one, we began a series of your scouting reports on the different positional groups. We we are doing the incendiary positions today. Love the word. Multi-syllable words. Love that. Yeah. And we talked offensive line. Probably the other position that's most talked about by Penn State fans is the quarterback position led by union leader Sean Clifford uh ready to begin his 12th season as penn state quarterback i i always joke about that with him that he seems to have been here forever um the thing with sean clifford and i've said in the past well you know what you're going to get with sean clifford and then i've corrected myself because i actually feel like you don't know what you're going to get with sean clifford that you know um And I was just thinking about this before we started the segment. You think back to the Iowa game when Penn State was undefeated, riding high. They're playing at Iowa. He made one of the ugliest interceptions you've ever seen early in the game. Like the first drive. And I'm like, yes. And deep in their own territory, fortunately, Penn State defense stiffened. I think Iowa just got a field goal out of it. And I'm like, oh, this could be a very long day. Next thing you know, he plays very well. For the, He didn't even play a full half, threw for 146 yards. Penn State's up multiple touchdowns. So that's what I mean. You tell me. You're the expert. You're the guy who studies the film. Do you know what we're going to get from Sean Clifford? <laughs> yes,
2: because you've got to bake in those plays. you got to bake in those, dude, what, sort of moments. Because... <laughs> They are, I think, intrinsic to who Sean Clifford is, and they're the 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 great storyline of what he's trying to overcome. So that's what we talk about when we say, Sean Clifford, you have to give him an ideal situation. The interception came when he was on his own goal line, and he was rolling in a rolling pocket, taking forever because the the uh, defense had, diagnosed the play and he still tried to force the ball in instead of making the de- the smart decision in the moment which was to throw the ball away there's just something about Sean Clifford that when he has to make the right decision I'd say even being nice seven times out of ten he makes the right decision and then it's the other three times that it's a coin flip You know, sometimes he'll make a bad decision. Sometimes he'll make a great decision. And sometimes it'll just, the ball will be incomplete, but it was not a good decision. You know, like it doesn't hurt you. So that's the difference between a quarterback and a great quarterback is that, and I hate to be a one-to-one comparison, but it could not be more obvious, is that Trace McSorley made great decisions with the football. He just was limited by what he was as an athlete. But he made the right decision in all of the gut check times. He made, he just, the correct answer came out almost all the time. And that's the part that Sean Clifford has not really risen to. So you got to expect those things uh, because they will
1: happen. Earlier show this week, we had on Coach Caduti, who did film study, Sean Clifford running the RPO. Now, it's easy when you do this kind of film study. You cherry-pick four, five, six, seven plays, but they were plays where Sean Clifford made absolutely the wrong decisions. And I think back, uh, T. Frank, to something that you told me, which was Sean Clifford's statistics under pressure Every quarterback gets poor. For him, it was exceedingly so. But these highlights that are lowlights that we saw, he was not under pressure. He was not under duress. And just playing made decisions that made you scratch your head and say, wait a minute, Sean, you're a smart guy. You're an experienced guy. What were you thinking? And it makes me wonder, is this something— that okay he's now in his second year with the same offensive coordinator just that and the repetitions with the same plays that they were running a year ago should help that issue
2: yes and no this goes back to what i was just talking about and and not to kind of steal coach Kaduti's point but this is something i've said before when you're when you're in these situations and the rpo and read option are decisions that the quarterback ultimately has to make now the defense dictates a lot of what the decision is going to be but the quarterback does have the option to just give the ball in an rpo and you know making the right determination of does my guy have a leverage advantage here and if he does have a leverage advantage do i believe in him that he's going to get that block so there's a lot of hidden decisions there's a lot of hidden things that are not the ball goes to the other team that are part of the quarterback's the part of what they have to do on the to make every play happen, so those those sort of decisions too are kind of where I think a lot of this, even my analysis, tends to go through the the, the cracks as far as okay, so what is supposed to happen in the situation? I can read the numbers and say that says run, but the leverage might be different. The uh, the situational football, there might be some uh, thing that I've missed as far as what should be happening there. At the same time, um that is what the second year in the system is supposed to bring is more clarity of, okay, now I fully understand what the object of this play is. I know it by heart. And now I can make the, uh, the best decision instead of making the decision that, you know, just is the most obvious, if that makes any sense.
1: Gotcha. Hopefully it is the case from another year with the same system. Now, uh, T Frank, a year ago, I talked about that Iowa game, Penn state, 5-0 5-0 and going into that game, riding high, top-five ranking. Sean Clifford goes down, and things just got ugly from that point. Leads to the question, where is Penn State this season if that happens? Is forgetting the newcomers, Drew Allen Bo Prabula, let's just talk Christian Vayu. Would mm-hmm. he be ready to step in and take over the job if needed?
2: Uh, Before we get to that I do want to just say one last thing is like the first six minutes of this conversation about Sean Clifford sound awfully negative and I understand that that is kind of where the you land after last season but I'm genuinely more optimistic about Penn State and Sean Clifford's ability to perform this year because of a lot of different factors when we get through the breakdown of the other positions. So I don't want to leave it on such a negative note because you know that's where a lot of these things tend to go when you're looking at what went wrong last year to set up for this year. To your well, point, though, go ahead.
1: Let me, be, before we get to the next point, I, I would like to um, second that because I think Sean Clifford... With an improved offensive line, which I believe we both think will happen, and a better running situ- running back situation, which I think also will happen, will make him better. So, yeah. I just to second your your optimism there. I'll, I'll say that. Now let's circle uh, back to where we were.
2: Let's circle back to the pessimism of if Sean Clifford gets hurt. Uh, but no, it, it's a valid question because ever like since two thousand eighteen. Uh, even, maybe even before then, every starting Penn State quarterback has gotten banged up because of the amount of times they run when the, when the situation, when the game plan isn't working, one of the cheat codes you can go to is running the football with the quarterback because it gives you a numbers advantage, and that sometimes gets your quarterback hit, and he leaves the game for a couple plays. So if that happens this year, another place that I'm optimistic, but probably cautiously so, is Christian uh, Veyer, because we saw a lot of good things, but we saw, I think, 51 total snaps, so we we don't know what we don't know. But what we saw and the things that I like again, kind of like Olafishanu, of I feel like I'm seeing Bigfoot running through the woods. I I I I glimpse something that it looks amazing, but it could just be a deer running through the woods. Like I don't know what it is. So decision making under pressure seemed great. Uh, did not make mistakes made good decisions or at least put the ball in such a great position that even if it was a bad decision, his receiver was the only player that could come down with the ball. So those are all great things. What we don't know, if the team has to game plan for Christian Veyer, can they find his weaknesses? What are his weaknesses? In the blue-white game, I saw some mental mistakes when we got to see him do a little more of the seven on seven and a little bit more of the uh uh, you know, teamwork. And then some accuracy on deep balls. I don't know if he was throwing receivers he wasn't comfortable with. Like those are questions that we just didn't have anything for before. And we have a little bit more information. So you don't want to wait one thing more over the other. At least I don't. So I just want to know more. And this is where the whole conversation about Sean Clifford and the future of Penn State football. Like I'm as anxious as Penn State fans to find out something new uh, about another player on the roster at that position. But you might find something that you don't like. Like that is also the reality that you're playing with of Christian Veyer may not be able to diagnose zone coverage. He might not have a full understanding of defensive concepts and how to defeat them and safety rotation and split coverages and everything else that goes into diagnosing a play and where to go with the football accurately and on time. We just don't know any of that information. The coaches have a better idea, and even they, there's always that gap. And I talked to Mike Yersich about this this summer of how do you find out those things you can't find out until you put a guy in the game? And he said, we try to create that in practice as best we can. He is a very intense guy. He's very loud in practice. He puts pressure on those guys, and he does it intentionally, not just to scream, but to simulate the stress of the game. So they have a, you know, if he rises to the level of of being better than Sean Clifford or if Sean Clifford gets hurt, we may see something that we haven't seen before, which is somebody else under center.
1: We have not begun the 2022 season, but what the heck, let's start talking about 2023, T. Frank, (laughs) and Sean Clifford will finally, finally move on, and it's then... Christian Vaillou, it's Drew Aller, it's Bo Prabula. Things are going to get fascinating next spring, aren't they?
2: Yeah, and so it's the only way we can really talk about Bo Prabula and Drew Aller because what are we supposed to – they're freshmen. They don't really um, come into the equation here as far as what to expect from the 2022 season. They're expected to learn as much as possible – and become as good as possible at football and understand as much of the offense and the, the defense as possible so that they're ready to go next year. And that break glass in case of emergency, they can get through a game this year. If there's a massive rash of injuries, but if that happens, like then we're talking about a very different outlook for the season. If your two top quarterbacks are going down and you're playing a true freshman, like that does not, you don't get to that situation And also have a good season, like one in every couple hundred times that works out.
1: In other words, something will have gone very wrong if we start seeing significant playing time from either Bo Perbola or Drew Aller. Yeah, there's there's no other way to put that. So hopefully uh, that's something we will see come 2023. T Frank. All right. That's it for quarter number two. Stick around quarter number three, we've got your questions and we're going to ask T. Frank. Statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. TrustStateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team, and place you love.
3: In his book, Why Penn State, author Greg Woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to Happy Valley in the 1980s, a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity. Whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old state's past for the first time, this compilation of rare photos, original essays, and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind, we are. Start your journey today. Order online at whypennstate.com.
0: Let's get back to the action on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystoneSportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number three. I'm Jim Galante. I'm with T. Frank Carr. Quarter number three, you know what that means. It's time to ask T. Frank. This is where we're going to take your questions from T. Frank about the team, about recruiting, about anything else you want to ask them. If you want to send in your question, just get our app from the App Store. Very simple. Search on Keystone Sports. You'll see us there. Once you download it, you'll see the Ask T. Frank button. And at the end of the segment, We are going to pick out a winner for the best question, and they will get a copy of the great book, Why Penn State, by Greg Woodman. Um, If you want to purchase the book, you could go to whypennstate.com. I know it's also available on Amazon. It talks about the Penn State team during the decade of the 80s. Some great stuff there. And that's the decade, T. Frank, where Penn State really became Penn State. All right. You ready to roll with our questions?
2: Yes, sir. I am excited to answer things. I, I, this is always this is always like genuinely exciting. Of I've got to be on my game because I have no idea what's coming next, and I've got to have something <laughs> ready to say very quickly. So let's
1: do this. Let's dance. All right. I'll I'll, I'll be slow as I ask the questions to give you some nah, time to think. Nah, let's fire away. <laughs> All right, fire. My right, synapses
2: are going this morning. I had my coffee. <laughs>
1: Let's get with. Uh, let's start with Brad from Percy. Brad says everyone loves a hundred-yard rusher and a thousand-yard backs on the season. My question is, how many games will Penn State have hundred fifty yards or more rushing from the running backs as a whole? Don't include the quarterbacks rushing in your prediction.
2: That also then means that the sack yardage doesn't count either. So we're just talking pure yards gained. Yep. Uh, let's see for 150, I still think this is gonna be a passing offense because you're you do have some talented running backs, but you have a lot of options at receiver. You have a lot of talent in general at tight end and uh, the pass catching situations. and explosive plays when they happen are are more effective from the receiving core. So I'm gonna say, three to four games. They'll have 150 yards rushing. Uh, And I, that might be low. I'm, this is again, just straight off the top of my head. What number makes sense. So both non-conference games uh, that are central Michigan and, and Ohio, I think is the other one. And then let's say they get another, let's go with four, two big 10 teams. They'll run for 150 yards, two non-conference games. Those will be, Penn State will get back to having comfortable wins this year. So
1: that'll be four games. Okay, let's go to Josh and Lamar, who says, Who's left on Penn State's big board? <laughs> Evan Link, Evan Link, and Evan Link.
2: Uh, just the the this is <laughs> this is crazy um that Evan Link hasn't made a decision yet. We were told in the recruiting circles and my uh, recruiting uh, partner Ryan Snyder. That there was a decision coming at the beginning of July. And as of now, there are like four days left in July. So we are officially no longer in the beginning of July. (laughs) I think the concern now is that he missed a trip to Michigan. And the plan is to draw this out until he can go to Michigan. And that means that it's not clearly Penn State. It is still undecided. And he wants to make an informed decision. If that's the case, does he make another return trip to Penn State? Penn State is going to try and make that happen. But these aren't going to be official visits. He's going to be going unofficially to these places if that's what's happening. I don't know that for a fact. That is just my view of the landscape and why this is drawn out so long. Because otherwise, he would have made a decision, I would imagine. And again, if it is not so clearly Penn State, it's not great for Penn State that this goes longer and longer. Uh, outside of Link, Jalen Thompson is another player that uh, from Cast Tech. Penn State has a good relationship with Cast Tech in in Michigan, in Detroit. That is a defensive end, uh, really intriguing player. I, I I like him. He's Ohio State's interested. Michigan State was interested, but apparently has moved on, and Penn State has some room now with some of the things that have happened in recruiting and he's a quality prospect. That'd be a very good defensive end group with TJ Parker and Jamil Lyons if they added, uh, if they added Jalen Thompson. So those are the two off the top of my head, but the, the big board has to has changed, right? So there's gotta be a quarterback on the big board that we probably haven't done any research on because Penn state hasn't made that, public to anybody like we don't know who the the player is at that position and then receiver so that's open again you know talking about Yazid Haynes decommitting there was Penn State needed another receiver most likely to get three in this class now they need to get they have to get one more so what does the board look like there I think there are more questions than answers right now with who's left
1: Okay, let's go to Steve in Potomac, Maryland. And I'm going to preface his question with this, T. Frank. I know Steve. Steve is a really smart guy. But Steve also is not not a big James Franklin fan. And I think Steve searches for reasons for Penn State moving on from James Franklin. He's found a new reason. I want to throw it at you. He says saw that Penn State was one of three Big, big Ten teams on the 24-7 blue-chip ratio behind Ohio State and Michigan. That's the, you know, yes. uh, they do the ratio of how many blue-chip, four- and five-star recruits that you have over the past four years, and Penn State does finish in a good place there. This suggests that despite having more talent, they continue to underperform by losing to inferior teams. Will NIL make recruiting more dependent on money than on coaches? And now with the Big Ten getting a new media deal where a lot more money coming in, will that make it easier for Penn State to move on from James Franklin if he has a third season in a row of underachievement?
2: What is it about wishes and fishes? What is that rhyme all about? And, and something like I just, I don't know, man, sure. Like, uh, if this is another one of those, your honor, the, the question is leading the witness. Does all of that have anything to do with why Penn State has struggled over the years? Is James Franklin the bane of your existence? If you've chosen to make him your mortal enemy, then sure, it is. But that's not everyone else's reality. Like, that's, so let's start with that. That like, James Franklin is not the source and the fountain of all evil in your life for most people. Uh, And I think if you have an objective view of the world, uh, then you can understand some of the situations and circumstances over the last two seasons that are real and legitimate. But we're not going to talk about those because the question suggests that you don't care. So I don't really want to waste more oxygen on that particular topic. So do all of these things add up to a future where you can move on from James Franklin and you can do your happy dance? Yeah, probably. Yeah, pro- probably there's there's some of that there. But I'd be careful of, uh, just, again, careful what you wish for.
1: Do you know, I think it was last year, uh, during the summer, I had a segment or a show where I allowed a listener to co-host the show, and it was Steve. Maybe mm-hmm. what we need to do is get Steve on the show, with you on the show, and we can have the James Franklin debate I just I don't know how to respond to like I want
2: to come up with an analogy of how that sounds to me and like I, Steve I'm I'm trying to have fun with this like I'm 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 we're have, I'm not trying to be like like a super James Franklin defender I'm just it comes off a certain way and I don't have the right words for it right now of like that's a little bit so far outside the realm of like regular things we talk about and things that are part of that it's just it's just a little it's a little kooky. <laughs>
1: Well, I, I've had these discussions with Steve, and, you know, the the logic is there. You understand what the point he's trying to make, but I just don't think they're ready to move on from James Franklin. But I do want to ask you what might be uh, – I'm going to shift the question a little bit. He talks about NIL's effect on recruiting. Now, yeah. I think most people agree Penn State has not positioned themselves – like some of the other schools with NIL that are really pumping out a lot of money. Yeah. But the fact is, between last season and this season, the recruiting has been really good at Penn State despite that. I guess my question is, I'm not sure NIL is the end-all, be-all for recruiting.
2: So there are players in this class that Penn State has lost because of NIL, like as a factor, maybe not as the reason, but certainly as a factor. So the class of 2023, we don't know, I guess, what we don't know because no one is willing to talk in any sort of certain or hard terms publicly about these situations because it's technically not legal, right? Like you can't promise things to recruit. But the reality is like we have – x number of dollars in our nil fund you know through our collective and you know these figures can be given to players so it is a factor like it is a factor but we don't know how much of a factor it is and we don't know exactly which players made decisions based on that because no one's going to be honest about that um but i also i also think that to to give steve his moment of of being absolutely correct is we are going to be getting to a point with Pat Kraft as the athletic director, Penn state is going to, is, is seemingly committed to giving the resources, the time and the attention for football to be successful, to give James Franklin the things he's been asking for. They're already building a weight room. There's other plans, you know, as far as things that the football team needs to be competitive, there's going to come a time and a place where there are no more excuses for James Franklin. There are no more. And I'll, I'll, there are no more factors outside of his coaching ability that are going to happen for James Franklin. So when that does happen, and it should be pretty soon, like in the next three or four years, then yes, Steve, you will find yourself in a situation. If James Franklin does not perform, he will face consequences for that.
1: Let's go to Paul in Johnstown who says, Not real long ago we were concerned about the recruiting on defense. That's really changed for the better, especially after Penn State brought in the two linebackers. How much of this success do you credit to Manny Diaz?
2: So this is something that I'm not really, uh, I'm not equipped to answer correctly from my own personal knowledge. Um, So I'm only quoting, you know, the guys that work at Blue White Illustrated who do this work and what they've told me on my show. So to... To, to kind of give you the nutshell of that, I don't think we know that because it's about getting these players across the finish line from Manny Diaz. He's not starting and building these relationships. But secondarily, everything that Ryan Snyder tells me is that, like, positional coaches or coordinators, I'm excuse me, coordinators don't really do a lot of heavy recruiting. They're kind of, they, they are a part of the picture, but they're not going out and they're not the main guys that are recruiting these players. So... That is not really, I think, the focus here. It should be on the defensive staff as a
1: whole. We need a winner, T. Frank.
2: Steve took up a large section of the show, and we would be wrong to deny him his victory today.
1: There we go, Steve. I'll be getting in touch with you. That's it. Quarter number three. Quarter number four, we're going to talk recruiting. Stay tuned. Statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones lively commentary from columnist mike Porman and others local perspective local expertise local information from penn state's hometown website statecollege.com trust statecollege.com for daily coverage of the school team and place you love
3: what defines the special spirit of penn state
0: We head to the home stretch in quarter number four on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Brought to you by the Keystone Sports Network. Get the best Penn State sports news and analysis at KeystonesportsNetwork.com or download the Keystone Sports app from your smartphone.
1: And welcome back to the Keystone Kickoff Show. It is quarter number four. You know what that means? It's time for our Penn State Rivals recruiting update. This week with E.J. Daniels. E.J., my friend, how are you doing today?
5: I'm great. Thank you, for, thank you for being on here. Thank you again for having me. I appreciate it.
1: Well, we appreciate you being on with all of the great recruiting information. And by the way, if you want to find out everything from Penn State Rivals, just go over to pennstate.rivals.com. And if you're interested in more from Keystone Sports, remember you just need to download our Keystone Sports app, from your App Store. All right, EJ, let's get right to it. Before we do the Lash Bash, which is coming up, I want to talk to you about that. Still some more talk about Yazid Haynes. If you recall, he's the wide receiver recruit for the Class of 23, originally committed to Rutgers, decommitted, made the commitment to Penn State. There's some talk again. It was a few weeks ago we heard him visiting Georgia, but that talk is perking up again, isn't it?
5: Yes, sir, is definitely perking up again. I mean, he's earning that reputation as a flipper, unfortunately, and, <laughs> and the powers that be and everyone who covers recruiting in terms of insiders seems to be pretty confident that he's going to switch if everyone remembers correctly. Like they said, he did uh, post about his visit to Georgia, so uh, they think that uh it's going to be quite a hit to the recruiting class because then it's only going to leave Penn State with one uh, re- commit in the 2023 class, so this could potentially be a pretty big blow to the recruiting class.
1: And any more, as we say, it's never a surprise when a kid decommits. And especially, as you said, a history as a flipper started with Rutgers. Then, let's put it this way, an upgrade. He uh, blew up at camps, got a lot more interest, committed to Penn State. Now, some will look at Georgia defending national champions as another upgrade. It's hard to blame the kid for, for making that kind of decision. But now as you pointed out, that leaves Penn State with one uh, wide receiver commit. I'm sure they want at least two or maybe even three. Where do they turn now and are there going to be any class of 23 wide receivers showing up at the lash bash which is coming up this week?
5: Absolutely. Uh, Penn State has quite a few wide receivers that are going to be on campus this weekend. First name to look for is a wide receiver, Justin Brown, uh, out of Tennessee. This is a big, physical wide receiver who uh, brings some of the same explosiveness that um, Haynes brings to the table. But I think he could be better than Haynes strictly for the fact that after the catch, he can be physical, and then on his routes, he can also be physical in that 50-50 situation. And he also will give Penn State a, a wide receiver that they haven't had. They just got the uh, the young man who transferred from Western Kentucky, I believe, Tinsley, who is in some of that same mode. And I believe that Justin Brown can also be in that same mode, standing at 6'2", 182. Not, this, not the uh, most sudden wide receiver you want to see, but he is smooth and he has a lot of upside. So that's that's one name to watch. And another name to watch who isn't going to be on campus this week, Dustin Brown, will be on campus for last match, But another name is Micah Hayes, who is a three-star receiver, who is, you know, again, he brings some of that same uh, type of traits that Haynes brings to in terms of explosiveness, in terms of getting downfield, being able to run past people. What I liked about Mays specifically is that he played with some different type of tempo. So he was able to control his routes, and he was really good at the line of scrimmage in terms of winning at the release point. So those are two guys that are probably on be on Penn State's radar sooner rather than later, and especially Justin Brown with him being uh, attending last match.
1: Obviously a good sign when you could get a kid uh, on campus to visit. I'm always concerned when you have a recruit from out of the area. With Justin Brown, it's out of Tennessee where does Penn State stand with him right now?
5: Uh, Justin Brown is still uh, uncommitted. The last time I looked, I believe he was forecasted to go to Wake Forest. I believe that's where he is. But the fact that he his hasn't committed yet and is still, you know, coming up to Penn State for a last pass is is in a good place. Like I say he has a bunch of offers, but I mean, out of the offers that he have, I believe Penn State is the strongest. So I would say if they made a strong pitch to him. And you know, had a great weekend this week. This this weekend, they would be in a pretty good spot to land.
1: Fantastic. Most of the heavy lifting has been completed for the class of twenty three, so there'll be a focus on class of twenty four with this lash bash, and I will get to that. But just, are there any other names though from the class of twenty three we should be aware of that are going to be attending the lash bash?
5: Uh, yes, sir. Cla- uh, class of twenty three has this one defensive, this one edge rusher. Jalen Thompson from Cass Tech out of Detroit, Michigan. He brings some of the same and similar traits that Jamil's Lions does. Uber-athletic, a lot of first-step quickness, a lot of burst. Um, where he differs from Lions, I believe he's more technical. And when I say that, I believe he can use his hands just a little bit more, specifically in a run game. So in the run game, that's where he separates himself. But that is a guy in the 2023 class that if Penn State could land, would definitely bolster their recruiting class.
1: And Penn State has a history with Cast Tech. I believe that's where the King Brothers uh, uh, came from, correct? Yes, sir. Okay, let's take a look then at the Class of 24. Again, I think the lash-bash emphasis over the years with much of the recruiting done, I think they're at about 18 or 19 commits right now for the Class of 23. So the Lash Bash focus will probably be more on Class of 24 recruits. Give me a few of the names that uh, we should be aware of who are uh, coming in for the Lash Bash.
5: One of the things that I've always been a strong proponent in is that coaches, teams, recruiting, all of that, they all have types. And when you look at the 2024 class, they have a lot of the similar types of players that were recruited, in a 2023 class. So what I mean by that is, if you look at a guy like Gabriel Williams, defensive end from St. Francis Academy out of Baltimore, Maryland, he brings the same type of skill set that Tamir Robinson does. A 6'4", he's listed as an edge rusher, but he plays linebacker. He's also played some snaps at safety. He could be one of those type of Manny Diaz, use them all over the field, joker type players that can make a strong, strong difference, you know, on the football field and on the defensive side for him, moving him all around and being able to guard smaller body types and the bigger body types in terms of the tight ends. Another guy that I like out of this class is uh, Judith Jenkins, quarterback from Good Counsel out of Maryland. Now, he's a smaller cornerback, but he's very, very feisty at the catch point. He moves very smoothly. And on his tape, one thing that I like that people don't like, but that is a good sign, is that he, as a sophomore, he was tested a lot. He was tested a lot, and he and he prevailed. You know, like I said, when you're a smaller guy, they're gonna go after you, and their teams have consistently gone after him, and he has consistently risen to the challenge. So that was another guy, and then one guy also that caught my eye was a uh, DB Shamir Fredericks from uh, Carnese out of Brooklyn, New York. He is a six four defensive back, so he can play outside corner and safety, and this kid gets his hands on the football now. I don't know if he has the requisite size to play in the box, but I think he has more of a projection to outside corner. And if they got this young man or was able to, you know, get in good with him, he could definitely be like a guy down the road that we're talking about saying, man, I remember when they recruited this kid and he ended up being a top three, top four cornerback, you know, in his class and maybe a first round draft pick with the size and the ball production that he possesses.
1: You said he was six foot four? As a yes, cornerback, 6.4. yes, he
5: he plays he plays safety and cornerback.
1: Well, you mentioned about having types. It seems James Franklin seems to like length, like those guys, Absolutely. tall, long arms. There's something to be said for that, especially in coverage.
5: Absolutely, those are the guys who can alter the catch point, and you need that, and and especially with more teams in college and in the NFL playing more zone than ever. You need those type of body types who can play in the silo and who can cover a lot of space quickly. So, yes, those bigger body types always seem to be coveted by most defensive coaches and by most coaches, period. When we
1: look at the group that's coming in, are there any players, are we at all at in commitment watch for any players yet, or is it too early for any of these candidates who are coming to this uh, to this event this week?
5: Um, I think it's a little too early. Um, One of the players that I had a chance to speak to was uh, Jaden Spearman um, out of Loomis Chafe. He's listed as being from Connecticut, but he actually plays in North Carolina. He's in the 2024 class also. But when I spoke to him, he seemed to be very, you know, intent on wanting to play in the state of Pennsylvania, how much he loved being there, how much he loved where the campus was. Now, I'm not sitting here saying that he's going to commit after Lash Bash, all I'm saying is that he sounded like he was pretty enthused about playing for Penn State and playing for playing in the state of Pennsylvania.
1: Well, if he's coming originally from Connecticut, uh, Penn State has a great recruiting footprint in the whole Northeast. It's when you get these players again; they're expanding that footprint. But when you look for guys who maybe were raised as Penn State fans, you're still looking at those regional guys, right, whether it's Pennsylvania or New Jersey, New York, Connecticut, Maryland, Virginia, that's still the sweet spot for Penn State, right?
5: Yes, absolutely. When you look at it, I mean, they were able to flip the number one player, you know, in Virginia, and and, uh, Tony Rojas, you know, were able to get him down. You know, Pente, every every recruit you talk to, whether it's in Virginia, Jersey, wherever, they always talk about the tradition. And the fact, you know, that tr- the tradition always plays a big part in it, they're able to flip, you know, any recruit that they want pretty much. But specifically in Virginia, they seem to always be able to get the top, you know, recruits in Virginia to at least consider coming to Penn State. So they definitely have a huge footprint.
1: In the 30 seconds we have left, are there any Pens- Pennsylvania recruits that we should be aware of who are coming in.
5: Yes. um, One that I specifically wanted to highlight is uh, Peter Jones from Malvern Prep out of Malvern, PA. Um, He was an offensive tackle that I really like. One of the things that, you know, I have a big gripe about when it comes to offensive tackles and highlight tapes is that most offensive tackles do not put pass protection highlights in their highlight tapes. But if you look at Peter Jones he had very solid pass protection highlights. He has the athleticism um, with that outside zone scheme that uh, offensive coordinator Yurick uh, likes to run. He can make those blocks. There's plenty of highlights of him running outside zone. He can be a like a sneaky guy, a sneaky offensive lineman that they go after who could turn out to be a really good lineman for them down the road.
1: Very good, EJ. Unfortunately, we're out of time. It always goes too fast, but that's it for the show. Thank you all for listening. Be sure you join us next time on the Keystone Kickoff Show. Statecollege.com is your one-stop source for news, sports, opinion, entertainment, and community events. Over a decade of experience covering the Nittany Lions from reporter Ben Jones. Lively commentary from columnist Mike Porman and others. Local perspective, local expertise, local information from Penn State's hometown website, statecollege.com. TrustStateCollege.com for daily coverage of the school, team and place you love
3: in his book why penn state author greg woodman takes readers on a trip back in time to happy valley in the 1980s a unique era of gridiron success and rapid expansion that gave our university its modern identity whether you're traveling down memory lane or discovering old state's past for the first time this compilation of rare photos original essays and exclusive interviews helps you explore the why behind we are start your journey today
4: For Penn State football news, 52 weeks a year. Count on the Keystone Sports Network.
0: We are Tech Results. Located right here in State College, we specialize in providing assistance with many third-party software suites. Our clients include doctor's offices, lawyers, construction companies, and even hairdressers. We provide help with their industry-specific software. Learn more at techresults.com. That's T-E-K results.com or give us a call at 814-206-0000.